0: What does it mean for us to become an advocating church, an advocating church? My heart's desire is for our church to move from simply being a place where we get help to a place where we give help. And particularly, I want us to recognize that God is inviting us to be the kind of church that shines a light on how the power of God can bring transformation to lives and communities. Okay? But this requires purposeful work on our part to do this. To become an advocating church is to live for and call for shalom. It's a very broad word. Shalom is the word I'm using very specifically because shalom means this all-encompassing peace, this transformation of life. Righteousness and justice wrapped up in this idea of what it means for lives and communities to be transformed as we find wholeness in God. Wholeness in God. So there's an invitation for us as we think about what it means for us to be an advocating church. Again, tomorrow we'll celebrate the life and ministry, the legacy of Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. But again, we recognize we don't celebrate men or women. We celebrate the work of God in them, okay? Because all of us are simply vessels invited by God to do the work that he's called us to. So we don't honor men and women needlessly. We recognize the work that's been done in and through them, right? Because to hold up any man or woman is to put us in a place of danger because they are fallible. Fallible. I am fallible. I am prone to mistakes. I will sin. I will fall short. So we celebrate the work that happens through these folks and the work that's happening. But here's the concern. As we think about the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., often what happens in the moment is we think about all the great speeches all the great speeches, all the great sermons. And this is not to minimize the great speeches. The I have a dream speech, if you have opportunity tomorrow, just sit and rejoice in the wonder that God had put in this man to be able to write such a speech that transformed lives that we enjoy today. The sermons that were recorded that we celebrate in the books that he wrote, yes, all those things. But we often don't think about all the work that went on behind the scenes because Dr. King, wanted to ensure that, again, if you know anything about his life, that the church was the central place of transformation in society. The church. He was mobilizing the church to be change agents. When those bus boycotts were happening when those sit-ins were happening, he was mobilizing the church to be front and center in those moments to lead to the transformation that needed to happen around segregation and racism in our country. He was inviting the church to be front and center, to be visible change agents in those spaces. It wasn't simply about words. It was about action. And so we are invited by the same God to be change agents, to be an advocating church. So a couple of things, foundationally, how do we do this? What does this mean? This invitation is to be the moral compass for the world. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 5, 13 to um, 16. The text will be up for us. It says, you are the light of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and give it light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. God is inviting us to be out in the world, demonstrating the light and the power of God. Standing up for what is right and good because we recognize that the issues that people are facing are keeping them down and out and keeping them down in a way that they can't see a way forward. As Brian Stevenson has said, powerful book, Just Mercy, has told us, the opposite of justice is hopelessness. We have hope to give because we recognize we have a God who promises to finish what he started to finish what he started. To be the moral compass is to recognize that we have the opportunity to shine the light of God, the hope of the world found in forgiveness and strength and love and grace and kindness found in the ministry and the power and the invitation from Jesus. But we have to do that in public spaces. Yet this Thursday I was at uh, Boys and Girls High School in Brooklyn as A auditorium full of teachers and educators and parents were talking about the need for change in our education system around mayoral control in our in our in our schools. This mayor, and this has nothing to do with, I'm gonna be talking about this a minute, this has nothing to do with political parties. This has to do with the mayor deciding to make massive cuts, $500 million cuts to our education system that will have vast consequences on how our kids are educated in the city. An auditorium full of parents talking about how we need better from our mayor because our kids deserve better. And we need to be there. We need to be there because we have hope to give, because this isn't an invitation for us to just use our voices. This is an opportunity to say that the reason that I have confidence that we can see change is because I believe in a God who's in control of all things. An invitation to be the moral compass. As MLK has said, the quote is up for us. The church must be reminded that it's not the master or the servant of the state, rather the conscience of the state. We are the conscience of the state. We ought to be the ones that provide the moral compass for how the world ought to work in public spaces. When issues of mass incarceration and undereducation and food injustice and migration issues are front and center, we ought to be the ones that say, what does God's word say about the righteousness that he's inviting us into? The dignity and a humanity of every person in public spaces. The church must be reminded that we are the conscience of the state. But we have to do that in public spaces. As a John Perkins, one of my heroes, has written many, many books, says this, again, the quote is up for us, to give us, this is the framework before we get into what, how God does this through his church. Perkins says this, it's important that the voice of believers be heard in those spaces of power where decisions are being made that will affect the lives changed of those in the inner city. Many decisions are made every day in city halls, governor's mansions, state legislatures, and the United States Congress that will have a tremendous impact on the ministry we are called to do in the neighborhood. We need Christians there to be the voice of those who cannot speak for themselves. We need those voices in those spaces. Because this is, again, why this church is so dear to me is because this is not issues of abstraction. The reason that some of us are homeless is because we're not speaking up for the necessary changes that need to happen around housing in our city. These are not issues that are not, these are issues affecting our congregation. The reason more are falling into addiction and not getting recovery help is because the state is not funding enough recovery programs around the city. Did you know that every city recovery program in the midst of the pandemic closed because of lack of funding? We can't stand by idly because this is affecting our people. But secondly, the beauty of God is this, that his kingdom works very differently than man's. Because it's not just an invitation to be the moral compass it's an invitation to the marginalized god doesn't work from the top down he works from the bottom up watch all the time through the scriptures of how god raises up people and this is particularly where we're going to go into this book of esther to see how god Flips the script on how change happens in society. Change does not happen from the top down in God's kingdom. It happens from the bottom up. Why does the incarnation happen in a lowly manger? Because God wanted to equip and mobilize the marginalized to remind them they're they're seen and important. He worked from a place of marginalization to remind you need to look in different places if you want to see the power of God. God is equipping and inviting the marginalized. This is again why I want to invite our church into this. Many of us feel like I don't have the power or the voice to be the change agent in these spaces. And God is saying, you're the very person I want to use. You're the very person I want to use. When you think you have nothing to offer because you are formerly incarcerated or homeless or battling mental illness or battling addiction, God is saying, you're the very person I want to use in those spaces to bring the resources necessary so that more people can get the help that you wish you had because you understand. Your issue, your struggle makes you more qualified to be a voice of change in those spaces more qualified, that's God's kingdom. So the invitation is to the marginalized. So how do we get there? How does God invite us to be change agents, to be an advocating church? What we consider from the life and the ministry of Esther and why I chose Esther again, a woman. We continue to see inequity around men and women in this country. And so we need to recognize that we need to learn from different voices if we recognize the opportunity. So what does it mean for us to be the advocating church? The first is from the invitation, from the life and ministry of Esther, first we need to be conscious. If I want to be an advocating church, I need to be conscious. Wake up. Be aware. Right, so what's happening, a couple of things, just to highlight some verses from what's happening in Esther. Esther 1, verses 7 and 8. If you have your Bibles open, there's this great feast happening in this this moment. And again, being reminded that the the Israelites in this moment were the marginalized. They were the left out. They were the exiled. They were the kept down. They were those who were degraded and demeaned and left out and and kept down in the society. And so in the midst of that, there's these great celebrations happening all the time. And we hear about this in the beginning in Esther 1, verses 7 and 8. And this is this great party that's happening. And just a vignette, a little moment to give us a sense of like the haves and the have-nots. Esther 1, 7 and 8 says, Drinks were being served in any array of golden goblets, each with different designs. Royal, Royal wine flowed freely according to the king's bounty. The drinking was according to royal decree. There's no restrictions. The king has ordered every wine steward in his household to serve whatever the person wanted. So this is what's happening at the top in the kingdoms, that there's unhindered celebration and access and opportunity and riches. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> we live in a city of haves and have-nots. I don't know if you have these moments. I've had these moments where like, I've been invited to these spaces, right? mysteriously you know you go to New York and then you get invited to the space and you are like I feel like I don't belong here <laughs> like I, I you know full disclosure uh, you know I, I like cigars and so I got invited when my friend was leaving the city got invited to the cigar bar and I was like walking into the space and it was in midtown I walk into the space and I go in and it's like Spike Lee and Al Sharpton and I forget someone else sitting at the table I'm like One of these things just doesn't belong here, you know? I was like, what am I doing here, you know? But you go into these spaces, New York is like that. You'll just wander into these spaces. If you're in Midtown or in Manhattan, you're like, this is like crazy bougie. Like how did, like, I don't, this is not my life. It's a very different experience from my moment in Canarsie or Bedsty or Crown Heights or Red Hook, whatever, or the shelter. There's a reminder in this space that there's haves and have-nots, but it's not accidental. It's not accidental. Often people stay rich at the expense of the poor. People stay rich at the expense of the poor. Reminder. Amazon, and I'll maybe be more specific, Jeff Bezos made $950 million in the first quarter of the pandemic. $950 million in the first quarter of the pandemic. 40% of Amazon's workforce live on food stamps. People don't get rich accidentally. They get rich at the expense of the poor. That's the way that our system functions. And I'll say this again to be reminding us of what's happening and we celebrate MLK's birthday. Because this is again, what's happening in Esther's day is all these people are enjoying the riches. Where did those riches come from? Plundering the poor. MLK wasn't killed because he was talking about racial injustice. He was killed because he was talking about the military industrial complex. The way that our country gets rich is by going to war. So we have to be reminded, be conscious. Am I conscious of what's going on? Secondly, Esther one twenty-two, he sent letters to all the royal princes, to each province in his own script, in each, in their ethnic group, in its own language, that every man should be master of his own house. Now again, stop here. There's a difference between God calling the man to be the leader in his home because that was appropriate and that was the discussion that God had put through the scriptures. What this was talking about was this reminder that the, that the king was trying to parade his wife in front of everyone so she could put on a performance and show everyone, look how pretty, look how beautiful my wife is. So the reminder again, there was this idea of oppression and the oppression was, women, you're only as useful as you are beautiful. You're only useful as long as you're beautiful. There was an oppression of women that the only thing that mattered in that society was how pretty they were. You're only as useful as your pretty face. Are we conscious that there are systems of oppression, that there are systems that keep people down and out, that keep people ashamed and struggling, recognizing that you're only as useful as your bank account. Are we conscious? But it's worse than just appearances. It's worse than just riches. Later on, if you know anything about the book of Esther, we recognize that what's really about to happen is genocide. Genocide. Esther 3.13. Letters were sent by couriers to each of the royal provinces telling the officials to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jewish people, young and old, women and children, to plunder their possessions on a single day, the 13th day of Adar, the 12th month. These were people that were disposable. They were disposable people. When they became a problem, we dispose of them. When they rise up, we dispose of them. Are we conscious that there are disposable people in our society today? Are we conscious? That when a homeless person is choked out on a train and doesn't get the the, the justice that they deserve, are we aware that there are disposable people in our society? Are we conscious? This is how we start to become an advocating church. We recognize that this is a society that says, there are some people that hold lesser value. Women, people with mental illness, people who are formerly incarcerated, the homeless, black folks, you're less important. You matter less. Your opinion matters less. Your perspective matters less. Are we conscious that this is what's happening in our society? An unequal system, an elitism a system that objectifies wiz- women, a plan to systematically oppress and attack and extinguish people. We are living in the, with the consequences in our communities today of the war on drugs. Because now we, have, we are dealing with the fathers of children whose fathers were incarcerated by the drug war. And now, Marijuana is being celebrated. And all those folks that were locked up for very small levels of drugs, and we're not talking about, I'm not talking about the facts as to whether drugs are bad or good. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about now we're treating it as a mental health crisis. And before we were teaching, we were treating it as a crime. Are we conscious? Are we conscious? Are we awake to the injustices around us? Because Mordecai was, this is what's gonna happen. Mordecai and the God's people were aware. This is what's going on. There's injustice, there's inequity. There's all these realities of injustice happening around us. We can't sit by idly. We can't sit by idly. And as I'm thinking about this, I'm gonna talk invitation about this repeatedly. It's one thing for us, it to bother us. The question I'm asking is, does it bother us enough to do something? Does it bother us enough to do something? But secondly, we need to recognize that, and and I've been, if if you know anything about me, you know I've been in the spaces, okay? Eric Garner, George Floyd, the migrant crisis, I've been around, I've heard the stories, I've I've been in the spaces, okay? But here's the reality. For us to be the change agents requires that we become different kinds of people because in the midst of injustice, Here's the problem. We can respond in one of two ways, okay? And this is what happens in the text. And this is the word that we need to keep in front of us. It's the reality that we need to be consecrated. For us to be an advocating church means we need to be consecrated, set apart. Because the response often is one of two things. The two, the two ways we can respond, the next slide, is we can respond in one of two ways. We can respond in retreat and fear, Or respond in rage. We can retreat in fear or we can respond in rage. It says again in in, in Esther 3, verse 5, this happens a number of times, particularly with Haman. So when Haman's realizing that someone else is being celebrated, someone else is being honored, someone else is being lifted up, someone else is being acknowledged, and particularly as one of the Jewish folks in this community, that drove him nuts. And so he responds a number of times, Esther 3, verse 5, when Haman saw that Mordecai was not bowing down or paying homage, paying him homage, he was filled with rage. In moments when things are not going our way, when things are not going the way that we should, the first response we often have is we respond in rage, I don't want justice, I want vengeance. There is a difference between justice and and vengeance. And if we're not careful, this is why we need to be consecrated. I need to be a different kind of person. If God is inviting me to be the moral compass out in the world, I can't be functioning and responding out of places of vengeance and rage because I'm gassing a fire if I am. I'm gassing a fire. I, was, I, was, I did the marches, I did the walks and I understand. So I, this is not from a place of not understanding. As I'm walking and I'm listening, I remember started a march all the way at the base of the Brooklyn Bridge and wound up all the way, like almost at like, like deep into Crown Heights, walking and just hearing people yelling and screaming and angry at what's happening. And again, I understand. But if we stay there, we're gassing a fire. We're gassing a fire. So we have to consecrate ourselves. I need to be a different kind of person in those spaces that's offering hope and help. Not a place that's saying, I'm gassing the rage or I'm responding with the rage. When things are not going my way, when things are not going right, am I responding with rage? But the opposite is also true because here's what can happen. Esther verse 4, verses 13 and 14. Mordecai told the messengers to reply to Esther, Don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you are if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's family will be destroyed. The temptation is when I become aware of the issue, I will retreat because it's too much to handle. It's too much for me to do. I'm too afraid to step into this space because I'll say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or it won't go as I anticipated or it's too much or I don't have the time or I don't have the strength or it's going to cost me something. So I retreat, I retreat, I retreat, I retreat. Esther was put in a position of power and with power comes responsibility. She was not just put in this position so that she could be a pretty face. She was put in this position of power so she could be a change agent. So she could demonstrate the power and glory and wonder and invitation of God to a different kind of life, to be a different kind of person into a different kind of community. Ones that model repentance, ones that model trust and dependence on God. So we can respond in, in, in one of two ways in these moments when we become conscious. I'm a conscious now of all the things going on. I'm conscious of the inequity in schools. Again, just understand, I have two kids, okay? I think I might've mentioned this before. So I, one, of my school, one of my kids at the time was going to a, 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 an elementary school in Park Slope where the PTA budget was $1.6 million. My other daughter was going to a middle school, high school on the edge of Red Hook, middle school, high school, where the PTA budget was $25,000. Black and brown kids largely, shouldn't surprise you. Black and brown kids having a $25,000 PTA budget and a middle uh, elementary school with a PTA budget of $1.6 million. You understand how inequitable that is you understand that that means one school is going to have all sorts of after-school programs and all sorts of extra teachers and all sorts of opportunities for those kids. And the other school full of Bracken Brown middle school and high school kids are going to be scraping by. But when we become conscious, do I retreat in fear? I can't do anything. It'll never change. It's not my responsibility. I have enough cares of my own. Someone else will deal with it. Or I respond in rage, I stand up and start yelling and flip over tables and just say, what the heck is going? Pump the brakes. What does it look like for me to be consecrated in that moment, in those spaces? Well, we see this. Esther 4, verses 15 and 16. In view of the invitation from God for her to step up, what she recognizes is that I need the power and grace and wisdom and direction of God, and we need this. This is not an invitation simply to Esther, but to all of us. Esther 4, verses 15 and 16. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it's against the law. If I perish, I perish. We can step into those difficult spaces with grace and mercy and wisdom and kindness and love when we set ourselves to pursue the face of God. To pursue the face of God. It can't be about functioning out of my feelings in those moments. It has to be functioning out of a faith in God, a trust in God. So I have to ask myself in those moments, if I'm gonna be part of this change that God is inviting our community into, to be an advocating church in spaces where I'm in those spaces calling for change, calling for justice, calling for reform, What needs to change about me so that I can go into that space? Am I anxious? Am I afraid? Am I worried? Am I doubtful? Am I trusting in my own strength? How do I need to consecrate myself to God and say, before I do anything, God, you know what I need to do in going into this space? I need to hear from you. I need to hear from you. What might need to change about me? so that I can be an advocating church, part of it. Let next, as we think about this invitation, we recognize again that what, what, is, what is happening in this moment is the invitation to the common good. It's recognizing I need to become conscious. It's recognizing that I need to be consecrated. It's recognizing that I'm seeking the common good. Okay. The most important verse for me in the ministry that I do is Jeremiah 29:7. Jeremiah 29, 7 says this. Pursue the well-being of the city that you have, I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. And then God says this. For when it thrives, then you thrive. For when it thrives, then you thrive. So many churches think, you know what my responsibility is? To make sure the church is good. And God says, I've put you in exile in this space, in this moment, to say, you know what you should be doing? Seek the good of the city. Because when the city thrives, you know what happens? They'll want to belong to your church. It's not rocket science. It's not rocket science but we spend so much time trying to make sure that we're looking after everything that happens in this space and we lose sight. Am I conscious of what's happening out there? But they come in, you're gonna hear a message of hope. You're gonna hear the message of transformation. Absolutely, the responsibility of us in this space is to make sure the truth is being told of a God who promises to finish what he started, that forgiveness is available, that repentance is necessary, that this is not about God but giving you whatever you want. It's about entrusting ourselves to a God who wants to change us because he loves us. But then we go out into the world to seek the good of the city. And in seeking the good of the city, we grow. We grow because people receive help and say, like, what is it about you that it's inviting you to be, like, this kind of person, Jesus, a community that supports me in this pursuit? So a couple things, again, as we think about the text, what's beautiful, and again, this is the hard work. Think about this. Esther 2, verse 21. We're seeking the common good. During those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bithal and Teras two of the king's eunuchs who were guarding at the entrance became infuriated and planned to assassinate King Azaharius. Here's what's happened. Mordecai's working in the king's quarters and hears that because these people are so upset with what King Azaharius is doing, they plan to kill him. Now, King Azarias is not the greatest helper to the Israelites. He's not really on the Israelites' side, but Mordecai becomes aware that they're trying to assassinate him. So you know what he does? He goes and warns the king. Think about that for a moment. This king who at m- moments later is planning to sign documents for the annihilation of the Israelites, and here's Mordecai willing to go and warn him that his life is in danger. How is that possible? The grace of God. The grace of God. So just very practically, when we think about this idea of the common good, and again, this is to me, I was telling you, people earlier what are preparing when I'm pointing my finger at you, you know, I'm pointing three fingers back at me. When we're so frustrated with our, our president, our governor, our mayor, how often are we praying for them? How often are we praying for them? We're seeking the common good. You know what I want? I want a mayor, a governor, a president who does what's good for as many people as possible. But that won't happen, save the grace of God. So the best place for that person is in the hands of God. I need to pray for them. I need to seek their good. Not in a way that I'm ignoring the things that need to change about them, but how often am I trying to do good for folks so that they can become better and they can be changed? Just very practically, some of us have unjust bosses. And so instead of trying to change them by doing good for them, we crack on them and criticize them. I'm just, as a reminder, that never works. Never works. Accountability is one thing, cracking on and criticizing is another. Mordecai is convinced, convicted that the, his responsibility in that moment is to warn the king of impending doom for a king that's planning on killing his people later. Park that because Jesus does something very similar. In fact, goes to the nth degree in a few minutes as we celebrate the table. So lest we think that it's not possible, Jesus goes all the way in that by washing the feet of Judas. Judas. He seeks the common good. He's not segmenting the disciples in that moment. Like Judas, you know, you're going to betray me in a few minutes, so I'm going to get you to set aside. I'm not going to wash your feet. I know where you're going, I know what you've planned. I'm going to set you aside. He still washes Judas' feet. The common good is going to invite us to do things for people even when they're not on our side. Let me say it again. Seeking the common good is sometimes going to be calling us to do good for people that aren't even on our side. Secondly, the common good requires that I think beyond myself. Esther 4 again, 4.14. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. Just side note, look. God is going to bring about justice. He's going to bring about justice and righteousness. He promises to finish what he started. And so we can retreat in fear. God will make it happen. God will make it happen. Okay? But... I certainly don't want to be the person that God taps on the shoulder to do something good and be like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I don't want to be that person. But recognize common good means that I have to think beyond myself. This doesn't directly affect me. This isn't my business. This isn't my responsibility. I was telling, maybe I've said this before to you, but my, my, my daughter came back from an after-school program one day, and she was all excited to tell me about the lesson that she had learned in her after-school program. I said, what did you learn about? And she's like, oh, I learned about mind your business. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, tell me about mind your business. And she's like, well, if you see something and something's happening, it's like, you need just mind your business. I'm like... At the time, I lived above a deli. Now, again, I'm going to preface... This is, a te- this is like a middle-aged school kid, girl, so again, we have to be thoughtful and mindful of what this, how this plays out, okay? But I lived above a deli at the time, and I said like, okay, so you go into a deli, and Muhammad, who's literally watched you grow up, and Pancho who's literally made you grilled cheese sandwiches since you were zero, it, like, you go into the store, and someone's stealing from their store. Are you mind your business? you best believe that I'm gonna say something? Because Poncho and Muhammad are like family. And that's going to cost me something. Now, again, I'm not saying that women should go out and throw themselves in harm's way, particularly young kids in those moments. I'm just saying, are we just so concerned with my own safety, my own reputation, my own time, my own needs at the expense of the common good of seeing what God was inviting me into to be a change agent and thinking about the common good in those moments. Esther certainly was tempted. This is going to cost me something. The common good. For us to be an advocating church, I have to think beyond my own needs. Again, another verse that just always frames how I think about this, this work and my life. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come for him to be glorified. As, again, think about that, Philippians 2. Jesus did not come to be glorified. He came to serve and lay his life down. the common good. Next, for us to be a church that advocates for the change necessary for the people and the oppressed and the marginalized, we need to call out. There's no way around it. We need to call out. Esther 7, 3 and 4. Queen Esther answered, if I found favor with you, your majesty and the king is pleased, spare my life. This is my request and I spare my, and spare my people. This is my desire. For my people and I have been sold to destruction, death and annihilation. If we have merely been sold as female and male slaves, I would have kept silent. Indeed, the trouble wouldn't be worth burdening the king. There's gonna be times when I need to speak up. When I need to speak up. It has gone too far. It has gone on too long. I don't know what the numbers are right now, but again, as a side, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 people have died on Rikers Island in the last calendar year. Some of those people have died because DOC employees have willfully re- re- refused to give people their medication. Rikers Island, if you know anything about our incarceration system in the United in New York specifically, Rikers Island is a place where people are waiting to go to court. 85% of those on Rikers Island have not been convicted of any crime and are dying while they're waiting. There becomes a moment when we say, this can't go on any longer. There becomes a moment, again, just, just you think, and I don't know the numbers in here, I, I have to find it. So this is accountability, this is accountability, okay? I need to find the New York number. So if, if later we talk and I have not done this, accountability. In the height of the pandemic, more people died of drug overdoses in San Francisco than of COVID. In At the height of the pandemic, more people died of drug overdoses in San Francisco than of COVID. Okay, And again, all sorts of reasons for that, but Lack of access, lack of opportunity, lack of resources, right? The church was not stepping, like you could just go on and on about the lack, 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 lack. There's some, becomes a point where like, do you see something happening? This can't keep happening. We can't sit by idly and just pretend that it's not happening, that it's someone else's problem. And again, why I chose the, I chose the um, recovery thing specifically, okay? Our people are dying. Our people are dying. We can't sit by and say, it's someone else's problem. I need to go to the mayor and this governor and to the people in power and say, we need better. We need resources. We need better. There becomes a moment where we have to call out. But lastly, it's not just a matter of calling out. This is the recognition. I started with this, and I'm coming back to it, and particularly in view of who who we are as a church, okay? We're called. We're called. This is the beautiful thing. This is what I love about our church so much. That all the things I'm talking about, formerly incarcerated, battling recovery, homelessness, and food insecurity, these are not issues like, I want to know more about this. And this is a beautiful project that I can learn more about. Like, these are things I could learn about. And like, you know, for like, I can, you know, whatever. This is our church. This is our church. These are the issues that we are facing. And because of that, here's the beauty. The way God's kingdom works is you are called to be a part of the change. You are called. Esther 714. As, as, Malachi, as Mordecai is inviting Esther in, into this opportunity, he says this to her, who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Backstory quickly. Esther is an orphan. An orphan. Her mother and father died. Mordecai adopted her. She was an orphan. She was an exile. Someone who was on the outskirts of society. Someone who was in the part of the marginalized group. She was part of this group that was potentially going to be annihilated. All the check boxes of marginalized, oppressed, left out, kept out, kept down. And and God threw, threw Mordecai saying, and yet, and yet... Maybe you've been called to be the change agent in this space. Maybe you've been called to be the change agent in your shelter. Maybe you've been called to be the change agent in your workplace. Maybe you've been called to be the change agent in the streets. Maybe you've been called to be the change agent, preface with wisdom and discernment and following the rules, the change agent in your recovery meeting. You think that your past disqualifies you from being the change agent of God. And God says the reverse. Your past is what qualifies you to be in the spaces that I'm putting in. Hear me again. You think that because of your disability or your criminal legal past, or your addiction, or your family struggles, that you are somehow disqualified from being the change agent that God is inviting you into. And God's like, do you hear me? Those are the very things that qualify you. You were raised up to be an advocate for the homeless because you are homeless. You are raised up to be an advocate for the incarcerated because you were incarcerated. You are raised up to be an advocate for the addicted because you were addicted. How do we become an advocating church? We recognizing that our past is what qualifies us to be the advocate. We are advocates from people that have experienced the injustice. That's God's kingdom. An invitation to be advocates because we've experienced the injustice.